welcome back to the big program. Coming up to 10 o'clock in Edmonton, the Oilers on a real heater, seven wins in a row, and we're going to kind of mix things up a little bit on our game of the day, brought to you by St. Albert Dodge. Join in the holiday cheer and help St. Albert Dodge fill their Ram 1500 with toys for the Salvation Army. Stop in and say hi at the north end of St. Albert Trail. So we're going to kind of, again, do things a little differently today. So we're going to go back and look back yesterday's Oilers game. We touched on it off the top. That's going to be half of our game of the day. We'll also feature tonight's big game, I guess you could say, in the NHL. It's Calgary and Colorado. Calgary comes in with 25 points. That's uh, three, well, that's the same amount of points as the Oilers have right now in the Western Conference standings. But after tonight, the Oilers will have three games in hand. But also yesterday, the Oilers defeated New Jersey by a score of 4-1. to one. If you were at the game, you probably noticed a few things that were done a little bit differently. The Oilers called it basically... Next Gen. So what they did was they brought in the next generation of fans and they they brought in fans in certain areas and they brought in, I guess, contributors to their game day staff. So it was neat to see things in that sense right off the hop with the national anthem, um, goal calls, things like that. So let's welcome in uh, from the Oilers Entertainment Group, Tim Shipton to Sports 1440. Morning, Tim. Thanks for taking the time this morning. Hey, Kev. How you doing, buddy? Doing great. You guys are on a roll. Everything's just fine in Oilers uh, Nation. And last uh, game, I was talking to you after the uh, second period, and I said, you know, why don't you hop on and let's talk about this little next-gen thing? Because I think a lot of fans really enjoyed how the game day presentation went yesterday. And and that's a big part of what you guys do because you have to be a part of it. But what about just having the kids involved? And let's just start with the national anthem, uh, the young singer who just knocked it out of the park. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Kev. So last night, or I guess yesterday afternoon, because we had a, a 2 o'clock start, was our second annual Next Gen game. And just an opportunity for us to... Uh, highlight some of the very talented young Oilers fans and young people in our community. And, and as you said, uh, the Next Gen game started with a bang. Uh, young Soraya, she's 11 years old, and uh, she sang both the uh, U.S. and Canadian National Anthem. And what a, what a powerhouse voice <laughs> in such a small package. She actually, uh, we're talking to her and her family, uh, she went to Nashville, competed in the North American Country Music Association International Competition, won first place in her age category for Vocalist and Entertainer of the Year. So this girl, uh, she's got some talent and is going places. There was no denying that because it was just, uh, I, I mean, a wonderful, well, both renditions were just wonderful. So then uh, the next, I guess, the next thing that we kind of saw, Tim, was, uh, um, you know, in between commercials and things like that, you bring in, normally it's Chelsea Bird, you had uh, a little different uh, in, uh, person yesterday, but then another young, young fan that was part of the in-game, in-house uh, broadcasting on the Jumbotron. So let's touch on that one. Yeah, we had uh, <laughs> lots of energy out of uh, out of uh, those folks. We had yeah. uh, William, who was ten years old. He was our uh, our mini in game host, and uh, you know participated in some of those contests. I think, as you saw, he helped uh, one young fan through the, uh, <laughs> the spelling of Oilers' last names. He was uh, uh, very encouraging uh, with that. 
again, brought a lot of energy. And talking to him, you know, it's interesting, these young people, you know, even at age 10, they're looking uh, potentially for a career in sports and entertainment. So so for us as well, uh, it's a great opportunity, you know, to showcase these young people. But, you know, we're always looking for good people uh, uh, to work in the organization. And then we had uh, uh, little Christine, who was seven years old, and she was our, our TV reporter, our our uh, young Tony Brar, and uh, I don't know if you saw her uh, do the post game interview uh, with Calvin Pickard, but uh, she really brought the energy too. So it was a lot of fun. Tim Shipton, Oilers Entertainment Group, our guest on Sports fourteen forty. The other thing too, Tim, I mean Al Stafford does such a great job announcing goals, but the the energy from the young guy that was announcing the goals that was just simply amazing. Well, it's funny. I felt like he was a young Al Stafford just <laughs> bringing, the, bringing the heat with the uh, the goal announcement. I talked to him, uh, Braxton, age 11, and, uh, and <laughs> man, he did a good job. He could, uh, quite frankly, he could step into uh, a game if Al, you know, Al hopefully, uh, you know, stays healthy. But if he's ever sick, uh, Braxton, <laughs> we got him on speed down mm-hmm. to jump in. And his favorite part, he said, was... Uh, was announcing the power play, and he kind of had that, you know, <laughs> the Oilers power play, <laughs> you know, a little bit of Al in him. And, and uh, his big highlight that he wanted uh, folks to know is that uh, he can eat an entire pizza at one time. That was his <laughs> other claim to fame. Well, so That's pretty good. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I, I really liked when he would announce a goal, and then you know how the second announcement's kind of lower key and, and a little calmer. I, I just yeah. thought that that, you know, the, the variances between the two were just a, just a great job. So um, <laughs> what about just, Tim, the fact about getting – it's a, well, next gen, it's pretty simple. You're trying to build your brand and try to pass it on to the younger generation to kind of get them at the grassroots level and the importance of that for the Oilers organization. Well, that, that's it, Kevin. You know, uh, we always, you know, we looked for uh, for earlier games uh, on the schedule where we could again get young folks to the game and and hopefully have a younger crowd, which we did last night. The two o'clock starts on Sunday, uh, ideal for families, getting young young fans into the building, and then uh, all these very talented young people. That's, that's what it's all about. You know, we're very lucky that the Oilers. You know, we've got fans right across oil country. People, uh, you know, so much passion um, for the sport and for the team. So this one, uh, as I said, is our second annual. We tried it out last year. You know, didn't know uh, how it would go, and and it's been a been a huge, huge hit, um, both with the fans and and just the number of of kids. We had hundreds and hundreds of uh, of applications, mm-hmm. so to speak, uh, for these different roles. And and again, when you see such young people with so much talent. Uh, it's, it's pretty exciting to have them involved. One last one for you, Tim Shipton, and just the fact that the Oilers uh, announced today that the uh, skills competition will take place uh, early in January. Nor- that, a lot of times it's been in the afternoon on, on a weekend. The way things are falling, it's going to be on uh, Thursday, January 4th at 7 o'clock. So touch on that. It's always a big, big thing uh, where tickets and, and you're raising more money again for the uh, Oilers Community Foundation, which is the most important thing here. Yeah, you got it. You know, again, we're talking about uh, young fans, obviously with next gen. But I would say, you know, uh, this is uh, this is a big one for for young fans and families as well. Opportunity to get into the building uh, 
you know, value price tickets are, are $15. This is, uh, you know, a, a charitable event net, net proceeds going to the foundation. And uh, just such a great way uh, to connect the team with the fans. Obviously gives the players the opportunity, you know, not the pressure of, uh, of a regular season game with points on the line and, you know, showcase uh, not only their talent but their personality and, uh Again, just always nice to see so many families in the building. Hey, Tim, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate your time. Uh, and uh, and again, tomorrow, I mean, I think it'll be a, an, an exciting building for Connor Bedard, too. Well, talking about young talent, uh, he, <laughs> he certainly has some. So uh, it'll be uh, I- interesting to see him uh, for the first time in the NHL uh, in our building. Thanks for coming on, Tim. Uh, we'll see you down at the rink. Appreciate it. Yeah, anytime, Kev. Thanks. That's Tim Shipton from the Oilers Entertainment Group. That's the first half, Duke, of our uh, St. Albert Dodge game of the day. Our second half will be the game tonight, and it's uh, Colorado hosting the Calgary Flames. I'm just going to ask you out out front, Duke, what do you make of this game? Is this a game where you're kind of going, you know, both teams are sort of just uh, treading water here, I mean, in the last 10 games, but have you liked what you've seen from Calgary in the last little bit with... I mean, now Markstrom's out. It's a big, big loss, but Wolf's come in. He's been okay. So what do you like about the Flames right now? Yeah, Dustin Wolf, probably the most um, exciting prospect uh, on the Flames radar. We've already seen a couple other young players come up and make an impact. Uh, Pospisil uh, up in the forward core. He's back in the back in the full things. He missed some time with injury, I believe. So uh, Dustin Wolf's kind of been the headline. And, and, I mean, when you have a resume like he has already the AHL level, I think it's hard not to get excited about a guy like that. Um, and obviously you don't want to see Markstrom go down to injury if you're a Flames fan. You, you are paying him a ton of money. I think Oilers fans can relate to that quite a bit in a bit of a different <laughs> stroke with uh, Jack Campbell now being down in the minor leagues. But yeah, like the, the Avalanche, this is a team that, I mean, they're still second in their division. The the Jets uh, tied with them technically right up at the top of it, but they uh, one more game played. Like, this is a game, if you're the Abs, you, you kind of circle as a must-win because, yes, the Flames have struggled this season. Um, they struggle to score goals. They've struggled to keep the puck out of their own net at times. Their basically entire defense core outside of probably Mackenzie Weger is on the trade market. They've already moved out Nikita Zadorov. Uh, so, so, like, when you look at it on your calendar, you never want to overlook um, a team per se. But I think with the with the Avalanche looking to jump over the Jets again, Jets getting the win yesterday over my Ducks, uh, the, the Flames are a team that you look at and say, yeah, we have to, this is a game you have to win. It, it's a, a, a team lower than you in the standings and one that's kind of, like you said, just been treading water um, and you want to kind of get the, the leg up on them to move up in the, the central division. Colorado comes in with a record of 16-9-2, uh, but 9-4. and four. At home, uh, the Avalanche uh, they rank ninth in league, play 10.7 penalty minutes a game. That's a lot in the sense that uh, a power play can really do some damage right now. Calgary comes in with uh, 11-13-3 record. Uh, and, you know, on the road, they're not that good either. Flames 5-7-2 and two on the road, and they're 3-7 and seven when they have... Uh, when they're sitting in the sin bin more than the opponent. Uh, it's a second matchup of the meeting between these two teams. The Avalanche won the last one 3-1. Nathan McKinnon leads all goal scorers and performers uh, with the Avs. 11 goals, 26 assists for the Avs. Ryan Johansson's been uh, 
just three goals, one helper in the last 10 games. As for the Flames, up front, Nazem Kadri, six goals, 12 helpers. Elias Lindholm has four goals and an assist in the last 10 games. But here's what we were talking about, Duke. The fact that both teams are sort of just treading water right now. Last 10 games, the Avs 5-3-2, and two, but averaging just 2.9 goals a game. The Flames 5-5, five and five, they're averaging three goals a game. So are you expecting maybe, I don't know, a lower scoring affair tonight? Yeah, I'll be interested to see uh, who ends up starting in net for the uh, the Avalanche. I would think it would be Gorgiev, um, but they haven't uh, haven't confirmed a starter yet. That'll likely come once we you know see morning skates, just as we do here in Edmonton. But mm-hmm. um, and I would think probably Vladar goes for Calgary. Vladar's been a very reliable backup goalie. He was great in Calgary uh, in stretches for them over the past uh, season and a bit. Gorgiev, you know. He, He's the goaltender for who's supposed to be the top team in the NHL, and he piles up wins. And so most of the stats are pretty um, encouraging as well. So you would think that it should be a lower-scoring game uh, because of what we've seen recently and the two goalies in the net. But it, we get surprised all the time. Um, so I, I, I would be, if I was a betting man, which uh, we know I am, I'd probably be checking out the line on this game and seeing if it's uh, if it's set at 6.5. I'd, ta- I'd probably be taking the under if it's at 6. I might be a little less encouraged, uh, but probably would still lean that way. And injuries, again, injuries have been a big factor with both teams, and most notably right now with the Calgary Flames, it's uh, Jacob Markstrom. Hurt that finger in practice under his blocker, took a shot there. Oliver Shillington still out, and uh, Jacob Pelche still out. As for the Avs, Gabe Landeskog is the knee. He's, you know... I don't know if I can recall a guy that's had so many injuries like a captain like Gabriel Landeskog. He seems like he's just had and long term injuries like just you know not not week to week. He's month to month, year to year. It seems yeah, like it, like basically their their profiling is like yeah, if, when when or I guess if the Avalanche make the playoffs, he he may be able to re- rejoin them at that point to the season, which you know that'll raise uh, if. Uh, that does happen. It'll raise plenty of more questions uh, about the NHL salary cap and, you know, adding players uh, back just for the playoffs. You can be kind of circumvented that way. Um, but the uh, Jonathan Druin had a couple assists. Uh, he was brought mm-hmm. in, former teammate of, uh, of Nathan McKinnon's um, this offseason, one of many former junior teammate uh, reu- um, reunions that we saw, including Connor Brown and uh, Connor McDavid. Hasn't really worked out so well yet here in Edmonton. And, and you could probably say the same down in Colorado. He hasn't had a ton of production thus far. Mm-hmm. But uh, but a couple assists at the Friday night game against the Ducks. So I think maybe that's an encouraging sign that he might be starting to push things in the right direction from an offensive output perspective. So, uh, so I mean, hey, it's uh, it's the only game on at 730. It's the nightcap. It'll, mm-hmm. uh, it'll have my eyes to watch while I'm uh, checking out the two football games as well. <laughs> that's the game of the day. Uh, yesterday's Oilers 4-1 victory over... The New Jersey Devils and the next-gen game of the day for the Oilers as they brought it in for the second time. And it's brought to you by St. Albert Dodge. Uh, they have... 165 Ram 1500s all dressed up and waiting for you all with an incredible 20% off MSRP savings up to $14,000 and I'm rocking the Ram 1500 Duke I have to phone Anton though I still over the weekend just a couple minor details still working on the electronic version of the the uh 10 by 10 TV screen in there that I'm there's a lot of bells and whistles on there, baby. Yeah, you, you, I bet you you could own that truck for a lifetime and you wouldn't even dive into everything it has to offer. What I can picture with you trying to figure this truck out, Kevin, 
is a lot like, uh, so I was back at the farm this weekend and uh, I have my nephew, uh, my sister and her husband are down in Vegas taking in the NFR uh, over the weekend actually. But so I have my nephew in the front seat of the truck. We're kind of posted up as an acting fence to steer some uh, cattle that had gotten out back in. And I'd left my nephew in the truck, uh, you know, nice and warm, but he uh, immediately takes to the the center console and mashing buttons. And <laughs> I don't know what settings he changed inside the truck, but that's basically what I picture like you trying to figure this thing out it's, without the help of uh, the great staff down there at St. Albert Dodge. It's tough, but I'm working on it. You're getting you know, better every day. Look at look at me in here. I mean, I'm working the computer, you know, the, sending emails, yeah, replying no, to text. Exactly. I send a text while I was on the air. It's unbelievable. Yeah, you, you, you cannot be stopped. Sky's <laughs> the limit for you, Kev. <laughs> when we come back, uh, looking forward to this conversation with Scott Milanovic, uh, the new head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats that's coming up on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Coming up at 1020 in Edmonton and excited to welcome in our next guest, Scott Milanovic, head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, the new head coach of the Tabbies. Uh, Scott, welcome to Sports 1440. You're with Kevin Carius. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Well, thanks for coming on. And how excited are you for this opportunity to be the 27th head coach of the Tabbies? Looking forward to it. Yeah, working hard and trying to get a, a lot of balls in the air right now but trying to trying to get everything kind of settled in and get a staff hired make some decisions on our free agents and all that sort of fun stuff that uh, that becomes uh, time sensitive I guess once you once you get a job like this so where are you with your staff how how many guys are you talking to what's the process to, to try to assemble uh, your staff in Hamilton yeah there will be some guys that um, that I'm gonna retain Um Really, just trying to get coordinators locked up uh, at this point, and th- and then go from there. But uh, talking to a bunch of different people at this point, um, yeah, it'll be you know it'll be a week or two, I think, before we have everything uh, kind of the way we want it. Yeah, it's nothing new for you, Scott. You've done it before to assemble the staff. What's it like to kind of do this uh, working alongside now Orlando Steinhauer and Ed Hervey? It's great. Um, I've known O for. Oh, I don't know, 13, 14 years now. He worked with me when I was in Toronto, and then obviously I worked under him uh, this past year. So very seamless uh, from that aspect just because we know each other well and there won't be any surprises. Uh, I've known of it for a long time. I didn't really get to know him personally that well until this year. But, you know, I, I think Ed and I are kind of cut from the same cloth, and uh, I uh, – I anticipate we'll have a really good uh, working relationship going forward. Uh, Scott Milanovic, head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, is our guest on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Uh, selfishly, Scott, we would have loved to see Ed back here in Edmonton. Uh, I've known him a, a long time, over 25 years, and know what kind of football acumen he, he has. So what do you think that relationship will be like working with Ed? Again, just kind of trying to get to know him a little bit more than what you did in the past. Yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of feeling that out, but it, I think the thing that both Ed and I believe in is just yeah, having a lot of communication uh, between he and I and, and obviously Orlando as well, um, just so that we're all on the same page at, at how we want to build this and what we're looking for. And as you said, this is not my first time, so I also understand that sometimes the coaches aren't, aren't going to get everything exactly the way they want it. So, um Right now, I think we're kind of in that communication stage where we're, hey, I see it this way and I see it this way, and you know, we'll find a we'll find a happy medium there that that works for everybody the best. 
So when you were in Toronto, you won the Great Cup with the Argos in 2012, uh, coached there for four or five years. And what do you bring back from that experience? And would that be where you would consider yourself the most successful, where you were in Toronto for that period of time? And what do you bring to the tabbies that would you learn there in Toronto? Oh, I don't know where I would consider myself the most successful, but I think with any job, experience matters. Um, we had some success there. Uh, the last year I was there was was a difficult year, but you learn even from from the tough years. Um, and you take some things with you and things maybe that you wouldn't do the same way. And uh, I think I feel the same way about you know my time in the NFL. It was it gave me a different perspective on on how to do things. I was with some really good people. Tom Coughlin, you know, I mean, got different ways to to see how it can be done, and, and you kind of adjust and you know tweak your model and and make it better through the experiences you've learned. So I, I think that's the biggest difference is that I'm not 38 anymore; I'm 50, and I look at things a little bit differently and have more experiences to uh, to kind of build on. Scott Milanovic is our guest on Sports 1440. When you were in the NFL, I guess with Jacksonville, more specifically what I'd like to talk about, Scott, in uh, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019, how would you describe, I guess, the success you had there working with the quarterbacks, in specific uh, Blake Bortles? Yeah, Blake, great guy. Still, uh, still friends with him today. I still see him occasionally. Um it was fun. Different, you know. He's a different style of quarterback. Super tough, uh, highly intelligent, had the ability to run. Uh, that first year, you know, kind of putting it together. We had a great defense. We were running the ball a lot and asking Blake to make a lot of conversions on third and medium to long. And you know, shoot, we got about four minutes from the Super Bowl. So mm-hmm. that was a lot of fun. That was uh, that was a great experience. Uh, got to go back to my hometown in Pittsburgh, and and we happened to beat the Steelers and. The second round of the playoffs, that was pretty cool. But, um, yeah, that was uh, that was a good time. Was what, what was that game like in Pittsburgh, Scott, to, to go back, as you said, in your hometown, have that success? What was that like? Uh, it was great. <laughs> I, I don't know that I had any family that were cheering for me. I mean, my whole family still lives there, but they're still, uh, they're still black and gold fans and, um, it was cold. I can't remember how cold it was, but it was a, it was frigid. And, uh, we just, we played the best game of our season. We, Blake was awesome. I don't remember how much he threw for or what he did, but we had a great day offensively and, um, did enough to, to keep Ben and, and their offense from, uh, from scoring more points than us. But that, that was a really, that was probably the highlight. So after that, as we're speaking with Scott Milanovic, the new head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, after that you have an opportunity that presents itself in Edmonton, but it was under difficult times with COVID. So can you discuss and address your, I guess, the signing and how things, I guess, didn't work out here in Edmonton because of unforeseen circumstances? Yeah, I think it was a difficult time for everybody. Um, right after our season in Jacksonville, I got the job and I came up there and met everybody and you know did that whole thing we shut off the staff and all that and I, I ran home and COVID hit and I wasn't I wasn't allowed back in the country <laughs> when COVID hit so there were difficulties um I don't know no, I don't think anybody's really to blame but the way things were were trending with our staff and only having five coaches and no equipment you know it just it wasn't something that uh that I thought was trending in the right direction at the time. 
Do you think you, like if, if something, you know, all these unforeseen circumstances, COVID, again, you weren't able to cross the border. Um, could things have worked out differently? What, do you ever think about that? You know, what could have been here, I guess, in Edmonton? Well, I took that job with the idea that it would be my last. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, I still had a year on, under, I still had another year under contract in Jacksonville when I took that job. So, I mean, that was, the plan was to go very differently than, than the way it went. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not placing blame on anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the organization did what they thought they had to do at the time. And I, and I understand that. And, uh, you know, I obviously had to do what I thought was needed to be done at the time, considering the circumstances. So yeah, it's too bad it worked out that way. I, I really enjoyed, uh, um, the people in Edmonton and in the short time that I had there, but, um, you know, things happen and, and you do the best you can and you move on. Yeah. And it's been, as I said, it's been three years already. It seems like it's just yesterday, but you know, it seems like COVID just is so long ago, but, um, after, after that, you went back to the NFL. So how did that kind of, you know, your journey as a, as a coach continue, uh, after here? Yeah, so I'm back to I went to Indianapolis. Um, I had known Frank Reich for a while. I actually offered him a job uh, when he was out of one when I was uh, the head coach in Toronto. And then um, Marcus Brady had become the offensive coordinator in Indianapolis, and I had worked for Marcus or with Marcus in Montreal, and then I brought him with me to to Toronto also as our offensive coordinator. So when they had an opening, um, it was kind of, I think, a natural fit for, for both Marcus and Frank and me. Scott Milanovic, uh, newly uh, hired head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, is our guest on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. What was your experience like in NFL Europe? Like uh, you had a couple of stints over there with a couple teams, but what was that uh, whole experience like uh, over the pond? Yeah, NFL Europe was for both coaches and players, honestly. It was uh, a great thing, uh, particularly for me as a young coach. I I can't remember how old I was, Kevin, but... Mm -hmm. I wasn't 30. I think I might have been 29 when I got my first job as an offensive coordinator. I'm sure I wasn't ready. The difference being over there, you know, it wasn't – it's not the seriousness in terms of fan base and ownership. and They're just – it's a developmental league, so the the focus wasn't necessarily on winning. It was, you know, giving these guys from the NFL an opportunity to get better and hopefully go back and make their team. And that was a good thing for, for me because I got to call plays. I got to make mistakes. I got to get up in front of a room and try to lead and all those things where it wasn't so critical that if you lost a game or screwed something up that you know, you were going to get fired and be looking for a new job. So um, I have very fond memories of, of my time in NFL Europe, and I think it helped make me a lot better coach. What do you see going on right now with the game growing globally? I'm just talking about the NFL and I guess Hello. the CFL too the NFL and the CFL growing, but what do you see about it growing over in Europe? Oh, I think we might have lost Scott Milanovic. Duke, do we still have him? Sounds like he's on the on the line, though. We'll maybe get Scott back. And uh, so Scott Milanovic, he was coaching uh, in Europe a couple of times. He coached in uh, Cologne and then also in Ryan. Uh, the Ryan Fire and uh, Cologne Centurions. And that was 2003, 04, 05, and then he went to Cologne in 06. So interesting, you know, when coaches, Scott Milanovic is what you would call a career coach. So he's had the ability to go from 
various teams, leagues, and positions. And that's what's made him what the kind of coach he is today. I think we're just getting him back, Duke. The Duke is working on Scott Milanovic. I think we've got him back here. Yeah, let's welcome back uh, the head coach of the uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats, uh, Scott Milanovic. Uh, Scott, sorry for that. I think it might have been on our end, if whatever it is, but uh, uh, good to have you back. Thanks. No worries. Um, I guess let's just get back to Hamilton now. When did you take over play calling as far as the tabbies go this last season? Um, I don't recall exactly. I think it was maybe like the ninth game of the year, okay. eighth or ninth game. So, and then things turned around. I mean, the team kind of had a bit of a resurgence. Can you put your finger on why and how and uh, what was done in the sense that, uh, you know, Hamilton kind of, you know, the Tabbies, you know, came back. They they had a better, I guess, second half to the season, if you want to call it that. Yeah, it's hard for me to put a finger on exactly what I, I think. If you look at the numbers, they'll probably lead to, you know, we weren't turning it over probably as much. We were taking less penalties, um, ran the ball a little bit more efficiently. I think both sides started to play a little better. Scott Milanovic is with us on Sports 1440. Just a couple more for you, Scott. What do you make of your quarterback stable, The the who you've got moving forward in Hamilton and how, I guess, you will implement them moving forward? Yeah, we're still trying to figure that out. I thought uh, Taylor Powell did a nice job for a rookie. I hate having to play a rookie quarterback, but didn't have much of a choice. He came in, did a nice job, kept us afloat, won us some games, gave us the opportunity to get in the playoffs. Um, Matt Schultz, veteran, um, did some great things, has the ability to move, has a strong arm, um, had some experience with him. He did a nice job. And then Bo, I just didn't get a lot of time with Bo. Mm-hmm. And that's disappointing. You know, I saw him a little bit when I was up there in training camp, but the injuries kind of kept us from getting too much time together but um obviously know of his pedigree and i know he can still throw it. i know he's still accurate highly intelligent highly competitive um, but would have loved a little bit more time with him yeah is bo levi the guy to lead this team in the future here we're still talking through that um you know bo and i are you know have a discussion i think tomorrow and just uh taking everything into account and, and we'll uh, we'll make a decision on that here in the next few weeks and where are you at uh, scott as far as you know again free agency and players are you know it's it's just a fluid uh, conversation with many guys that are on your team right now and that you're looking for but the guys that have the potential to come back would you be able to kind of say you know i like this guy this guy's slotting in here can you kind of shed some light on that yeah, I think I can do a little bit more of that probably from an offensive perspective just because I had spent so much time with those guys. But that's the process we're going through now. I think you have to decide which free agents that are on your team already do you want to keep, and then that will give you a better idea going forward as to what you may want to target in actual free agency. So I'm doing some catch-up on the defensive side of the ball at this point. And just the overall state of the CFL, from a, a perspective that you've been able to be, you know, a head coach in Toronto 10, 11 years ago. Now you're going to be a head coach in Hamilton and you've been in certain cities outside in the NFL in this in between. What do you see of this league moving forward? Where How, how healthy is it? What do you what do you look at and uh, what do you what do you see moving forward here? 
Yeah, in terms of its health, I mean, it feels great to me. It feels the same. Um, I, I don't. I'm not the one to be able to answer what kind of state we're in from a financial standpoint, TV money and gate revenue, all those things. I don't. I don't know all that stuff, but uh, feels very solid to me. I love the game. I think the fans love the game. Um, I would hope that it's on an, on a very stable platform at this point. Hey, Scott, thanks for taking the time. Uh, best of the season to you and your family, and uh, we look forward to when Hamilton comes to town and uh, takes on the Elks uh, next year. Thanks for coming on. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. That's uh, Scott Milanovic, head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And, boy, what a difference in restructuring. You know, you look at Orlando Steinhauer is the head coach. He moves into upper management. Ed Hervey was basically advisor, assistant GM. He takes over as GM, and now you bring in Scott Milanovic. I mean, that's it's a pretty good, uh, you know, a pretty good formula there that they've got going in uh, Hamilton. When we come back, Duke, little uh, hodgepodge, potpourri, all of the above. Touch on some NHL notes. Yes, a professional tryout. Pittsburgh Penguins. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people are keeping a close eye on that one. Uh, that's coming up. We'll wrap things up uh, on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440 right after the break. Stay with us. Is that the Tritter? <laughs> Best version of this song. I like it too. How can you not? Like, I, I have nothing against the original. Like, the Eagles are great. But, uh, yeah, just a little a little extra twang to it, I guess, maybe. On the guitar, right? Just a little yeah. more. You can hear it a little more than the Eagles version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very solid, Duke. Very solid. Were you upset? Not upset. And we we never got a text from our buddy uh, about the Shohei Otani Jays thing. Uh, that was bizarre. Like after we left on Friday at eleven o'clock, right? It starts because it, 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 it blew up. Yeah. Crazy. We we talked about the the flight at what ten o'clock or nine thirty in the morning mm-hmm. about the flight. Everyone tracking the, the flight. The flight tracker, yeah. And then everyone really went bananas as the day progressed. Yeah, we had we had Harry uh, yes. touching touching this morning. Um, do you know what I think about Canada's Boo Jays? <laughs> Canada thanks Dodgers. Um, I assume meaning that uh, him saying that. Uh, the Dodgers may come to regret this decision. Uh, I don't know about that per se because without knowing the full details of this contract uh, at the moment, I would have to think there's probably some uh, player opt-outs at certain points in they it. They say no. Really? It was yeah. a, Okay. They well, say t- no. Ten full years, that's a, that's a long time. Some Here's some crazy numbers uh, put together by the uh, big nut Kevin Waugh in our fantasy baseball league. <laughs> so... 70 million, a guess, a year, right? 70 yes. million a year yep. for Otani. Oakland A's have a $62 million payroll last year. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a number of teams that's currently well under uh, that, uh, on their 26 man roster. Baltimore, 71 million in 2023. So right on, right a ballpark. Pittsburgh was 28th at 76 million. Toronto had 215 million last year. Oh, oh, yeah. You know, they were ninth, the Jays. Mm-hmm. So they spend. We know that. LA Angels, 231. So with Otani, but they had a 451 winning percentage and 147 million of that was on injured reserve. Yeah. Highest by 50 mil. Uh, we know who's number two and one. I'm pretty sure you know that. So the Mets and Yankees are two mm-hmm. and one. Mets, 344 million missed the playoffs. Yankees, 279 missed the playoffs. Rockies owner. So Rockies owner. Richard Monfort's net worth is seven hundred million, same as the contract. <laughs> <laughs> and the NHL Arizona Coyotes are valued at six hundred seventy-five million. That's pretty wild. I mean, 
There, I remember when um, A Rod, Alex Rodriguez signed with the Texas Rangers, and I, I can't remember the owner's name. I think it was Hicks, the same guy with the Stars. He said, I believe that contract was for something like $275 million, and he just went and said, I'll tell you what, you give me the contract, I'll give you the team. <laughs> you know, I'll take the 275 yeah. and, and be gone. I, he was joking, obviously. Yes, yes, but, yes, yeah. uh, text coming in from uh, Sean, one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. Thanks for the Carol Pope interview. In the early 70s, I used fake ID to get into the bar to watch Rough Trade in the Commodore Hotel in Kingston. Great memories of an iconic band. Thanks again. This was an interesting text from Tiger, and it's something to the effect that when we had Katrina LeMaydon on with Lorianne Munzer, they touched on this. This comes from Tiger. Hey, Kevin, why is it okay that we are all okay with being hard on a defenseman for a brutal play, etc.? But if an Olympian screws up like Jeremy Weatherspoon when he fell in the Olympics, takes a step, falls, everybody is more sympathetic and not as critical. Why is that? Well, I think both Lorianne and Katrina sort of touched on that. The simple answer, Tiger, is that the Olympics come along once every four years. You train like crazy for four years. And in the case of, say, what Lorianne and Katrina were doing in their events, or Jeremy Weatherspoon, it's less than a minute. You're 40 seconds. You're one and done. So when you're training, all the the thousands of hours that you're putting in to train for an event like the Olympics, whether whether it be in speed skating, cycling, whatever it may be, and it comes crashing down in a, in a split second, well, what can Evan Bouchard do if he has a bad shift? He gets an opportunity the very next shift, seconds later, to make amends, to do something. So that's the difference, I would believe, Tiger, that when you say we're okay being hard on defensemen or whatever it is, or a player, he has the opportunity to come back seconds later, minutes later, a game later, whatever you want to call. So that's the difference. Uh, the Duke, what do you make of uh, Yesipuliarvi? Professional tryout, Pittsburgh Penguins. Do you think he gets a sniff there? Uh, well, I, I think he is getting a sniff just by even uh, getting the PTO. It's it's interesting. You see, it's not as common now when a high draft pick, say, does not pan out. And, and Jesse Puliarvi certainly falls into that category. Once a player makes the migration back to Europe, it's pretty rare for them to come back to North America again and make another goal of it because they can they can make a very fine uh, career living uh, playing in their home country in the pro leagues there. And does it have the uh, the glory and the the financial reward of, of having a lucrative career in the NHL? No, probably not. But we have to think back, like Jesse Pulari, disappointing by his draft standards, but at certain points still a effective NHL player in playing a bottom six role, a uh, defensive player. Uh, his metrics were always uh, encouraging and positive. But I think it's just the fact that in Edmonton, we still held on to the point that we drafted this guy fourth overall. Why is he not in the same realm of um, competitiveness as the guys ahead of him? And then even a, a number of big names that ended up getting drafted behind him. And we've talked about this extensively on the show that the Oilers did not expect him to be there and they did not have Pierre-Luc Dubois circled on their board. No. They were likely going to go uh, for a defenseman, Mikhail Sergachev, um, at, at the four spot, but then having to change on the fly when Pugliari becomes available because he really just skyrocketed his uh, his draft stock 
at the World Championships, at the World Junior League. It was, it was a pretty quick progression for, for JP. Um, does he actually stick in Pittsburgh? That I'm a little bit less certain of because, I mean, they're, they're a team that's trying to get things figured out uh, much like the like, mm-hmm. kind of pile back to where the Oilers were a couple weeks ago. Like, th- there's nothing a lot really going right for the Penguins right now. Um, is a guy like Pooler ever going to move the needle? Uh, I'd be pretty hard-pressed to think so. <laughs> you remember when he was at the World Juniors, he was uh, basically in the Alex Ovechkin spot on the power play. It, he was he unstoppable. He those one-timers in. And then he goes to the World Championships and continues to dominate against men there. Like, he... he 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 earned what he got there, but if we want to draw some comparisons across sports, like look when Zach Wilson got drafted second overall, it was basically all because he like showed off this strong arm at a pro day <laughs> and you know not playing against defense and stuff. And I'm not saying that's what Puliyarvi did, but you kind of have to sometimes take the longer resume into account than say a um, a flash in the pan type performance. And in Puliyarvi's case, it was kind of two with the juniors in the championship. So. Um, I'm not saying he didn't earn getting drafted and, and have reason to skyrocket his, uh, his stock that high, mm-hmm. but um, I think if you look back, there might have been a few guys that uh, had a little bit more tread on the tires uh, at that, or a few more miles on the tires to prove what they were capable of. So it's a free agent tryout. He went to the Pittsburgh Penguins yesterday, but he had bilateral hip surgery in the offseason, but he was a full practice participant, if you want to call it. Yesterday, 16 points, 5 goals, 11 assists in 75 games for both the Oilers and then Carolina last year. Pugliarvi said he's happy to be here to get the opportunity. It's been a long way, but it is what it is right now. He's been doing a lot of rehabbing, worked really hard to get back here. It's been tough, but being doing a lot of uh, treatments again. Uh, the fourth overall pick by the Oilers in 2016, 114 points in 334 games. What about your buddy, your good old buddy, Ryan Strom? From the Ducks. He's going to be, what's he going to get? Two, three games for the knee on knee with Kyle Connor. It happened just 27 seconds into the second period yesterday as the Ducks took on the Jets. Uh, but Kyle Connor didn't look very good in leaving the ice if you saw any of the highlights or anything like that. Kyle Connor could be out for a long period of time here. Yeah, the, the knee knee injuries are always tough, um, and, and it's they're tough to watch, uh, especially, like, like, for me, after suffering a couple of them, like, I used to love watching videos of guys, you know, falling off <laughs> stuff or, or hurting themselves. I have a much harder time doing that now uh, just after, you know, kind of going through that and, and knowing what the recovery process is like, post-surgery, et cetera. Um, it's funny because if you ask uh, head coach Greg Cronin of Anaheim, he didn't think that it was worth a major penalty. And, and of course, you're saying that, to, you know, defending your guy. Yeah. But um, there has to be at least a little bit of truth to that sentiment, whereas uh, Rick Bonus coming out on the other side, uh, you know, really expecting a pretty sizable suspension. I would guess it does fall somewhere in the middle. Like you said, Kevin, probably a couple games. Um but but yeah, it's the, the the nice thing about the Jets there that despite Kyle Connor being out for virtually the entire game, um, they erase a two goal deficit and come back and uh, and win the hockey game. So uh, the Jets are a really good team. To do not be mistaken, the Ducks are not. Um, despite remaining competitive in most of their games, they haven't really got blown out that many times. But the the wins are, are a little bit harder to come by uh, down in SoCal right now. Former Edmonton Oiler defenseman Ethan Bear, as reporter Chris, that's uh, Chris Johnson, uh, saying that the Canucks are out. So is uh, Rick Dollywell from the Canucks as well, uh, saying that uh, Ethan Bear and the Canucks are a no-go, but uh, Johnson believes that uh, Washington Mm -hmm. is on the radar for the former Oiler defenseman. Again, he had shoulder surgery. 
He's been, a lot of people are wondering if he would ever have an opportunity to resurface in Edmonton. I think that ship has sailed. I don't think that he's a fit here anymore. I think he had a, Ethan Ethan Bear is a serviceable NHL defenseman. He's going to help some team. I don't think it's here though. Uh, Tiger says it is extremely rare for players to come back from Europe because the truth is their skills are rolled below the NHL level. Not sure what he is talking about, but um, what was the other? Oh, the other uh, the NFL, the Sunday night football game. Just watching Dak Prescott at home. This guy, he's got twenty TDs at home. He's got two picks. Philly looks like I said they could be the worst ten and three team in the history of the league right now. Yeah, Connor, Connor Halley and I got uh, quite the blowback last week on Fantasy Frenzy when we were discussing uh, Dak Prescott being, you know, at the forefront of the MVP conversation. And mm-hmm. uh, I haven't heard from any Philly uh, Eagles fans yet this morning here on the text line, although they were quite loud last weekend um, after I was really pumping up the tires of the, the San Francisco 49ers. So yeah. uh, the Niners, I think, have clearly established themselves as the number one team in the NFL by a pretty decent margin. And at this point, I would say uh, they're followed by the Ravens and then probably the Cowboys in at three because the Eagles, uh, currently their defense, their secondary in particular, is getting chewed up uh, a couple games in a row. And, uh, and, and you know, Jalen Hurts is a very good quarterback. The, the issue is that when you play as well as he did and the Eagles did last year, it almost sets a precedent for yourself. And so now basically no matter what he does, it will be – um, not a disappointment, but leaves you a little wanting more. And and his uh, security in the football has not mm-hmm. been very good. Uh, a big fumble uh, last night, uh, a couple fumbles by the team as a whole that uh, ended up turning the ball over. And the Cowboys capitalized. Like, their offense is dynamic, and their defense is far from uh, – like, they're good at generating turnovers and and even scoring some points. Of course, Deron Bland uh, with the number of pick <laughs> sixes he already had this year, it's staggering. But, uh, but yeah, they, they just couldn't really get much going. I mean, you only score 13 points. Uh, it's pretty tough to win football games that way. Will that loss for your Texans, will that loss to the New York Jets cost them a playoff spot? There's a very good chance of it, I would think. Um, the benef- the only benefit for the Texans is that the Colts also lost. The Steelers, uh, of course, <laughs> lost on Thursday Night Football. The, the, the teams that, but the teams below them, Broncos, Bengals, and Bills, mm-hmm. uh, all pick up wins, right? So uh, there's a glut of teams at seven and six right now vying for basically those last two playoff spots. I think the Browns being a little more comfortable at um, eight and five. Huge win for them over the Jags. And, and just as we, we tail into the, the wrap of the show, Kevin, yeah. what did you make of the Jags starting Trevor Lawrence right off that high ankle sprain and, and clearly, you know, limited? I was surprised. I was really surprised. I thought they would give him a week off. Yeah, like uh, at least a week. Like you're in a comfortable enough position that yeah. you could because they lost the game anyway. Mm-hmm. And you can you say that it's not because that, that Trevor Lawrence was not at 100%? Didn't look like it. Right? So, like, if you're thinking, okay, well, we have to win this game, what gives you a better chance? Uh, C.J. Beathard out there with the right game plan because they still have a lot of playmakers on that offense. Uh, Or And and Kirk's gone now, too? Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, that's about as tough as an injury as you can yeah. uh, you can stomach uh, when you hit yourself right where it hurts on <laughs> trying to uh, to make a reception. But yeah, like the Jags are, it, it was a missed opportunity for Houston and Indianapolis in a way because they could have uh, pulled in behind just one game behind Jacksonville for the division lead. But all three of them lose, and uh, and yeah, the the Browns, Bengals, and Bills, Broncos, all the bees, they're uh, they're laughing here on Monday morning because they're all looking a lot rosier than they were a week ago. 
Thanks so much to our uh, guests that came on. Jerry Matajong this morning, uh, Mark Spector, Joel Rexroad uh, covers the Tennessee Titans, and then Katrina Lemay-Doan, a two-time Olympic gold medalist, and Carol Pope, Canadian rock icon, plus uh, Scott Milanovic and Tim Shipton, uh, plus, uh, of course, uh, Lorianne Munzer, our co-host, uh, Mondays from 8 to 10. Tomorrow, we're going to mix things up a little bit. I believe we're going to have Brian Benning in, the former NHL defenseman. Grant Fuhr is shooting a commercial tomorrow. He's not going to be able to come on tomorrow, but I think we'll have a very uh, solid addition with Brian Benning. I'm just uh, on the horn with Benny, so we'll uh, touch base after the show here. Uh, that's coming up tomorrow. At the uh, top of the hour, it is Fantasy Frenzy with... A former Ross Shep T-Bird. Connor Alley and the Duke of Delburn, Brandon Douglas. From 12 to 2, it's uh, the lowdown with Alan Mitchell. Jason Greger checks in from 2 to 6, driving home uh, with the Jason Greger Show. And, of course, the month of giving. Some great packages again today at 2 o'clock. Uh, sniff that out, and uh, Jason Greger will have uh, a couple more great packages as the week progresses as well on the month of giving. Top of the hour, Fantasy Frenzy. Thanks for listening, everybody. Appreciate it. We'll see you back here tomorrow morning, bright and early at 7. Up next, a Sports 1440 update with the Duke. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.